The following podcast is a part of RadioMisfits.com. Hey folks, before we go into the episode, I wanted to make sure you knew about my book, Inside Melania, What I Know About Melania Trump by Impersonating Her. It's out by Eckhart's Press. You can find it at InsideMelania.com. It's really important that you read it. It gives you, yes, a hilarious view into the First Lady. And as we're moving closer to the election, I think it's really, really important that we understand how the First Lady is both represented and used by the administration. And the best way to do that is to laugh along with me. So go to InsideMelania.com and pick up your ebook, print book, or audiobook. This is episode 120 of Reconcile the Isle. What on earth is going on? Rocket Man. Puerto Rico. Russia, 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 Russia. Eight accusers. Several allegations. Thousands of cases. Charlottesville. Horrific shooting. Deadly school shooting. The third deadly mass shooting in a week. Category four. California wildfires. Entire ecosystems are collapsing. Government shutdown. I've never seen this country divided like this. This is astounding to me. Reconcile the aisle. Welcome to Reconcile the Isle on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. On this show, my characters and I are figuring out how we can have meaningful dialogue about difficult topics. Oh, and my name is Lauren LeJudice. Today, we're going to speak with special guest Mona Shake. But first, let's go to our Stupid People, stupid people segment. segment. For those of you who are new here, it's the part of the podcast where we salute stupidity. Because what unites us across all boundaries, what unites every single person in this world, is that we hate stupid people. My dad rants about the stupidest person he's seen that week, and we rate their stupidity and assholeness in rectums. So here's our segment, Stupid People with my dad, Charles Legitice Jr. There's always some people... You know, they, when they're talking about it and, you know, some of it being a parent, you want to brag. I understand that about your child. If they've been decent. I mean, if I was Al Capone's mother, I wouldn't be bragging or Al Capone's father. But, you know, these people, you know, oh, my son is a doctor. Oh, yeah, my son is a lawyer. Well, you know what? That means that they went to, to school. But they, a, a doctor is just a businessman. And, and businessmen are out to make money. Some people are very fair. They don't take advantage of people. They have a heart. But you know what? I mean, how many doctors who are businessmen have misrepresented uh, themselves and overbilled people for everything? You know what I mean? And Medicare, Medicaid, and all of that stuff. And the same thing with lawyers. Lawyers... 99.9% of them are pussies because a lawyer, like if I was representing somebody, I would represent to the point that I would want to punch the other lawyer in the face. But lawyers, they don't do that. They, they, they agree on everything because each lawyer is afraid. If he says something to the other lawyer, it aggravates him. One day, that lawyer may become a judge and he'll have to go in front of him. He'll never win a case. Nobody ever thinks of that. So that's mm. why it's already, you want to talk about something that's uh, systematic, that's systematic uh, pussyism, if, uh, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> well, maybe All another, right? well, maybe a uh, uh, systematic yeah, lack word. of backbone yeah, out for si- system, selfish. Systematic, 
lack of guiones, you know what I mean? Okay. okay, lack of balls, okay? Here's another example I'm going to give you. Oh, this guy, uh, my son is a priest or a cardinal. Well, your son might as well have been Jeffrey Epstein or something, okay? <laughs> All right? So what, what does that mean? How many priests have been excommunicated, or the whole church for that matter, in the beginning of this crap 20, 30 years ago, every priest that they found, they were sending them to somewhere out in New Mexico or Arizona where there was a little desert, I guess, I guess so they can hunt coyotes and rattlesnakes or something, okay? I don't really know, you know, but it's all bullshit, okay? And it, it just, you know, goes to show you that just because someone is a certain thing, it doesn't mean nothing, you know what I mean? Uh, let's look at the honeymooners. Ed Norton was a numbskull, but he was a good friend to Ralph Cranton. That's it. He backed him up on everything, all right? And he was a sewer worker who... You know, everybody thought of as, you know, you got to go in the sewer. That's disgusting. Or somebody, you know what? Every job has to be done. And uh, what's his name? I can't think of his name, that guy. Mike, he did the uh, dirty jobs. Some people have to do these jobs. And there are people, and we have to thank God that there are people because not everybody can do them or would want to do them. Yeah. You know? Okay. What do, we, what do we give people who are scumbag lawyers and doctors? They're all fives. They're all fives. Yes. So this, for yeah. those who are new here, we rate assholes according to rectums. And yes. so we're giving asshole doctors and asshole lawyers a five out of five. Five rectums, yes. There are uh, uh, occasionally uh, a few good lawyers that uh, do, uh, you know, pro bono work. Here, now that you got me on lawyers, it's, it's just so funny, uh, funny, ironic. A lot of these lawyers, they start working out in the district attorney's office, their ADAs, assistant district attorneys, then they open up a practice. Like, uh, I, I don't remember his name, but everybody in the world knew John Gotti was guilty and he was a, a mobster and stuff, but uh, I forget the guy's name. He was representing him like, you know, he was Jesus Christ, you know? <laughs> he, he, wasn't gonna, he wasn't gonna walk into the courtroom, he was gonna float in, you know? <laughs> I mean, and that's why lawyers, you know, a, a guy rapes uh, 16 people, women or something like that. And then there's a lawyer, and I'm not talking about the poor person that gets appointed to represent that, someone. Yeah. I'm talking about someone who takes the job to make money and notoriety. You know what I mean? Yep. Like, yep. Uh, what was that guy? Michael Avenatti. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know what I mean? Everything yeah. he did was for notoriety. He didn't do anything. I don't think he ever won a case. Yeah. Guy. Yeah, you I know, think he's broke. I'm mean? sorry. He's like super broke. Yeah, he's in prison now. Yeah, he's yeah, going. Yeah. He tried yeah. to uh, bribe a blackmail Nike. It's just ridiculous. You yeah. know what I mean? So anyway, that's it for today. Wow. People are so stupid. Let's get to our interview with special guest Mona Shake. Mona Sheikh is a stand-up comedian, host, MC, producer of Minority Reports. She most recently emceed the Women's March in San Francisco in January 2019 and made history by being the first South Asian Middle Eastern female comedian to perform in front of over 50,000 people. She's been featured in LA Times, Newsweek, The Guardian, LA Weekly, New York Post, Huffington Post, Washington Post, and BBC. She can also be seen regularly on The Young Turks, The Stephanie Miller Show on Sirius XM, and Mo Kelly Show on iHeartRadio. Mona has also headlined in Dubai, Portugal, as well as London. 
In addition to being seen all around Los Angeles at major comedy clubs as the Comedy Store, Flappers Comedy Club, The Laugh Factory, Ice House, Pasadena, Hollywood Improv, and many more, she hosted the Hollywood Improv for the Comedy Juice Night with Dane Cook. She became the first Pakistani female comedian to be selected for Laugh Factory's Funniest Person in the World competition and made history by becoming the first Pakistani female comedian to headline Hollywood Improv. If you're wondering what it would be like to create a stage for diverse communities, I mean, will people come? Will it make money? You're going to want to hear this episode. And you can also sign up at laurenlogia.com slash podcast to get reminders when we publish this every other week. My co-host Melania Trump was doing kegels on her Pilates machine, so she sent us this audio message. Hi, fans, Melania here. Donald has been sleepwalking, and he sits there in the hallways and talks to the paintings of the presidents. He just covered the JFK because of what he was saying. Era, I never had to grab anyone by the pussy. They would come to me. I had Marilyn Monroe, the greatest sex symbol of the 60s. I had her after Joe DiMaggio, but before Arthur Miller. Who did you have? Stormy Daniels. She's not fit to wear Marilyn's bra. More updates at themelaniashow.com. All right, let's go to the interview with Mona Shake. Thank you, Mona, for being here on Reconcile the Isle. Yay, thank you for having me. This is very exciting. It's a nice uh, break from my everyday life of just constantly working. Yeah, absolutely. And, and also just um, to break from just the reality of, it's, it's sort of a time to reflect on all of the stuff that's going on and that we've been working on for years yep. um, as comedians. So you've been working on your project, Minority Report. When did you start reports or report? What's the right way to say it? With the Z at the end, because we're cool. (laughs) Cool. So Minority Reports, like when did you start that? Uh, I started Minority Reports over five years ago at the Comedy Store in LA. So I went to the uh, booker at the comedy store. And I was like, hey, um, this is before that whole conversation about, oh, there needs to be diversity and representation counts and all those conversations were, uh, they had not started happening yet. And uh, so I went to the comedy store and I said, hey, you guys don't have any show that showcases people like myself or any other minority for that matter. Would you give me the show and I would like to produce it? And they were like, yeah, sure. So I started producing in the belly room and that's where I started. And now it's become like this big thing where it's a nationally touring comedy show. We tour in New York. We sold out shows in LA, in Orange County. What we do under Minority Reports is this big umbrella. And we have these different sub-brands that are underneath. So there's Persian Girls Night. There's Desi Girls Night. There's Arab Girls Night. There's Gay as Fuck. There's Ethnic as Fuck. Like we have all these different sub-brands. So what it does, it gives all these different range of minority comedians access to be able to kind of plug themselves in rather than being like girls night out. Well, there's a lot of girls night out, but this is specifically saying, hey, this is a night where all like Arab girls are going to be celebrated, or this is going to be a night where all Armenian girls are going to be celebrated, you know? And we have been doing the knock on wood, like really well, our first Desi girls night out. Desi means a slang of saying South Asian. We had 300 women show up at that show. It was crazy. I've never seen so many Indian aunties fight over chairs like that. They're like walking up to me. They're like, she took my chair. I'm like, I have nothing to do with this. I'm like, oh my God. I'm running a show. Please do not. My brain can't process all this. This is too much work. 
So yeah, it's been really great. LA Times came and gave us this huge write-up. Larry Flint of Hustlers Magazine is a huge fan of ours. He gave us this massive write-up in Hustlers Magazine. We were like right below uh, gangbang and write up of blowjobs, like <laughs> diverse comedians. And we were like the only clothed people in the entire magazine. So when you like open all you see, it's just like a bunch of penises and vaginas. And then it's just like, oh, there's Mona. <laughs> wait, so wait, how did he, how did he, tell me about more about Larry Flint. So he can't, comes to the show, I assume. No, 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 he can't. He's too old. And he's like, I think he's wheelchair bound, if I'm not mistaken. We heard but about the show. Sweet. Yeah, he's That's very, very sweet. He's very supportive of like minority and diverse voices. He's very, very supportive. Wow. Um, yeah, which I didn't know Larry Flint was into that kind of thing. Yeah. Who would have found? So there's a journalist. So a few years before I, I did my show where Larry, you know, Hustlers Magazine showed up, I was opening for Patton Oswald. Do you know who he yeah. is? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, amazing Patton Oswald. So he uh, asked me to come and open for him at the Oxnard Comedy Club for like three shows. And this journalist saw me and learned about me. And he was like, hey, can I follow you? And I want to write a piece on you opening for Patton Oswald. And then we just kind of became friends from that point on. And then every time I would do shows, so he, when he learned about my big show that, was, that what I was doing, that was my first show in Orange County. He was like, hey, Hustlers is very interested in uh, you know, covering your show. Would you be interested? And I was like, yeah, let's do it. So that's how we ended up with Larry Flint and Hustlers. That's really cool. And what is the audience reaction like when they come? Audience reaction to the comedy shows? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. Somebody described our comedy shows as like going to like a Chippendales <laughs> because it's so rowdy. Like these women don't want to leave. That's the crazy part. Once the show is done, we're like, okay, have a good night. And they're like, no. I want to dance, turn the music up. And we're like, okay, we turn the music up. They're having drinks, wow. hanging out. Yeah, it's like this, it turns into this giant party. And that's what I love about my shows is that from the comics to the audience members, like everybody has a grand old time. That's Wait, great. La- last time we had like a whole dance off between the comedians towards the end. It was, it was <laughs> so funny. It was so funny. When do you ever see that at a comedy show? Dance yeah, off? that's really fun. And is there like... Like in terms of now, does it happen that like on the gay night, only gay people come on the Indian night, only Indian come? It's been an interesting mix. So like on an Indian night or like a Desi night, it's been interesting that it's primarily, of course, South Asians because it's Mm -hmm. such a niche thing. And it it is the comedy is more focused for them. But we also have like other folks show up too. you know, maybe not in the same amount, but they do show up for the gay shows for the gay as fuck ones that I was doing in West Hollywood. We had a bit of a mixed crowd, but it was primarily predominantly LGBTQ community members. Mm-hmm. And yeah, actually, uh, it's really heartbreaking, but we were supposed to be the official comedy show for LA Pride this year. Mm. We had the whole thing planned out. Gone. For now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, next year, you can be the official. Fingers Let's, crossed. But you know, I, yeah, I mean, my, my reason of doing that for LA Pride is, so I'm, I'm Muslim, I'm Pakistani. And um, there is a huge disconnect between the LGBTQ community and the Muslim community because there is a lot of, I guess, biases, you can say. There's a lot of non-acceptance. There's a lot of prejudice. I think you and I talked about it on my podcast when you yeah. came on. You know, the, the older cultures, the Italian yeah. culture or like the more ethnic cultures yeah. tend to have this, you know, maybe lack of ignorance and this lack of understanding yeah. uh, about the LGBTQ community. And I wanted to... 
as a Muslim person, kind of step the game up and be like, look, we're going to start bridging these gaps. We have a lot of LGBTQ members in our Muslim community, and they don't feel like they belong. And that's not fair. They are as Muslim as I am, probably even more Muslim than I am. Yeah. And I, I think we need to, but the allies have to step up and help break those barriers down, right? There's only so much that they can speak up and they can say, but then straight people, cis people have to step up and be like, yep, absolutely. We are allies. You know, we are helping break the gap. We are helping break the taboos down. We are helping bring an understanding to something that you probably don't understand or maybe too scared to ask. So I think those are the very things at the core of why actually I do most things, really. Yeah. So, okay, so people are there. It's the after party. You totally should have, like, it'd be fun to have a dance party. You could have, like, the gays back dance after party. party's full-blown, my friend. I get, like, really cool DJs, too, so everybody gets to dance. Oh, so you have, like, a legit party after. It's not just, like, people staying. You have, well, like, yeah, I usually have the DJ, you know, to, like, set the mood in the beginning and do yeah, yeah, yeah. show. I, and then afterwards, I just... Yeah, the DJ is just playing really some really good stuff. That's dope. And so people are hanging around. Are they like talking about? So how does like the? I'm so interested about how like what's on stage. If you find that affects like what people are talking, because usually with comedy shows, it ends and everyone goes, and so you don't really know like how it's affecting people. Like, do you get yeah. to see that because people are staying? Yeah, you get to see that. What I got to see is women, especially in the Desi Girls side out. I think I definitely see it also. In the more ethnic ones out, like Armenian girls and Persian girls, I think the difference that I see is that women feel a sigh of relief because there aren't a lot of men around Mm. to be able to laugh at jokes that they usually wouldn't if their husbands were around. Mm -hmm. Because they might be sexual in nature, they might be like taboo in nature. And, you know, I don't edit my comics. I let them speak whatever that they want to say. They can use whatever language they want to do, whatever. Because I'm a pretty edgy comic, so I I don't like to be censored. So I don't really like to censor my comics. As long as they're not being derogatory, as long as they're not using, you know, fucked up words or being misogynistic or being, you know, like just being respectful, but talk about the things that you want to talk about. I do get to see the reactions of people. And I think that's the number one thing that I notice is the freedom that these women feel that they're like oh god yeah um that was so amazing i was able to bring my girlfriends and we were all you you know because these are conversations that are happening in private and now somebody's going on stage and verbalizing it and saying the exact same things that you're having in private and they're Mm -hmm. like oh my god thank you thank you for giving me the opportunity to sit here and have this laughter and share this moment with my girlfriends or else uh, i don't get these opportunities in comedy clubs right comedy clubs you've seen the comedy club lineup they're mm-hmm. all straight white guys. Yep. I was in Australia, actually, and I went to this. Mandy Nolan is a comedian out there who's super funny. She was in Byron Bay, and she has this show. Um, I forget. It's like, it's like women, something like women's comedy show, something like that. It's like a funny title. And that show, they do it all over Australia. Like, that show is, is packed. And people, it's packed with women who are on. It's like, it's a, basically, it's a women's comedy show. And it's Mandy and her friend, and they both co-headline it. And it is just absolutely packed. People are just sitting there, like, so excited that there's a show that actually caters to their needs. And also, it's like, they're off, you know, they're not in Sydney. They're, like, off the beaten path. And so they're just not, those people don't look at those, like, big comedians won't, like, look at those markets. But, like, Mm -hmm. that is an underserved market. Like, they they want comedy about them and to feel like they belong. That's right. That's right. And I think... That was the big selling point for me at the comedy store also because I was bringing in a group of people and a group of audience that usually wouldn't come to them. 
because there's nothing in their lineup that attracts that kind of audience. You know, yeah. I remember uh, Kevin Nealon one day coming in and uh, he was like, oh, can I do a set? And I was like, yeah, sure. I was like, well, it is Minority Report. And I remember he, he came up and he's a straight white guy. And he was like, is this Indian night? He's like, is this, is this Indian night? Because it was like packed with like all like brown faces. And I was like, yeah, I was like, it's, it's Indian night. He's like, all right, this is cool. This is cool. This is not something we get to see at the comedy store. I'm like, exactly. I've been pretty fortunate. I think being at the comedy store, I don't think you can get my show today at the comedy store in the way that I did like five, six years ago. They just, it's a giant broville now. And it's just, um, yeah, my kind of shows are not really welcome in the way that they used to be. And, you know, they, they're doing very well for themselves. They're selling out shows. They're packing the rooms out. And God bless well, Comedy Store for doing that. But, you know, the way Mitzi Shore's vision was, it's not like that anymore. It's like maybe one or two females on the lineup. Maybe, you know. And it's all just pretty much the same people over and over again. It's the same Cycle, people. Yeah. So, yeah, but I'm, I'm very Now proud. that you've had this show, the regular show that you've been able to perform and bring people in, do you feel like it's changed your own comedy? Yes, I think what it's done for me, it's given me freedom. It, a, it's given me a shit ton of stage time to be able to talk about whatever the hell I want. Uh, and the other thing that it's done for me, it's given me the freedom to play and to do and talk about things in a way that, you know, that I won't get access at another comedy club or another mic. I mean, how many shows or mics would you go to where they can let you play for 20, 25 minutes, 30 yeah. minutes? They're yeah. not, you know? So I think for me, it was essential not just to create a platform for myself, but to also create a platform for people like myself and people who fit in the minority, you know, category. May they may be physically challenged, may they be whatever. Like I want them to feel at home. When they when they come to my shows, I want them to feel they are loved and they're welcomed and they are, you know, have the freedom to talk about whatever they want. Yeah, that's dope. There's all this wonderful comedy that you're producing, you're creating, you're performing. And then there's like the same mold that continues to go on. And there's obviously like a market for, for comedy, not just, not just buying for straight white guys. So like, how do we break down those barriers? You know what I mean? I mean, is it just as simple as booking more, a more diverse lineup? How do we make it more integrated? I guess. You mean at individual shows, individually produced shows or at comedy clubs? I think it all of the above. Like, how do we, so that people feel comfortable going and also performing? I feel like, you know, voices like myself are like, kind of like new kids on the block. And I think a lot of people are still getting accustomed to be like, oh, there's a brown girl in the lineup. Or there's an Asian girl in the lineup. Which is crazy. Or, <laughs> or there's a, oh, there's a gay woman on the lineup. Oh, yeah. I, oh, wow. Okay. Interesting. I mean, I think we are still, I think even that even includes you. I think we are still like new kids on the block in the sense that uh, now we are becoming more mainstream than ever before. You never saw gay characters or LGBTQ characters on screen the way you see now, because yeah. there is more representation. So there, therefore there is a lot more acceptance and embracing of, mm -hmm. you know, you see a lot more brown faces on, you never saw a lot of brown faces before, you know? Yeah. You, so I, I think it changes people's perceptions. So people are like, oh, I want to hear their point of view. I want to hear their story. Like, I want to hear that. Yeah. I think as far as comedy clubs go, honestly, I feel like a lot of comedy clubs stick to what they know, mainly because they have lights to turn on and, you know, bills mm -hmm. to pay. Uh, and I understand that. And I totally get it. Listen, when I pr produce individual shows, I got to make that money too. I have to pay people. 
You know, I have yeah. a responsibility. It's a big undertaking. But I feel like they have to kind of step out of this comfort zone of constantly thinking that somehow our voices don't make money. They do. They do yes. make money. Yeah, yeah. You have to be really freaking good. And Margaret Cho and I were having this conversation. Margaret was like, look, you have to be, if you're a minority comic, you got to be really good. You got to be, you got to bring your stuff to stand out and to be really good in a sea of like an average, you know, white dude or an average dude, an average straight dude, period, would maybe excel a lot more just because, because he's a bro, just because he's a guy, because he's straight or whatever, versus somebody like myself or somebody like yourself, where we have to really bring it to put yeah. to, oh yeah, okay, you know what, I'm going to book her, you know? Yeah. And you know, it's like, um, I was thinking, talking to someone about like how like this has like real repercussions for people's lives. For instance, like um, in the acting world, like friends of mine who are like straight white guys, they are working more. That means they have more money. They have more options. They have more freedom. Like it's, they're just more roles. There's always a role for a white guy. Always, always, always. And so it means they have a different life. When I started doing Melania, at first I thought I was doing stand-up as her. It kind of fell into it and it happened. And I was like, this is working. I'm going to go with it. And then I thought, okay, well, one way to do this, obviously like to make money out of it, what other people do, like Bob DeBono, Johnny Domenico, like these people make a lot of money doing gigs for private people. Mm -hmm. And what I found was, is that no one actually wants to hear Melania speak. Hmm. So like the sexism... (laughs) extend and yes she's mysterious and yes all of that yes 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 but like i think there's an underpinning of people just want to hear men speak more yes in in a fucked up way because it's not because women aren't funny it's just like like especially the kind of people who hire impersonators like the more corporate types they're just thinking along those lines and so like it directly affected my life that's why i started the melania trump road show that's why i wrote a book it was like i have to make my own like kathy griffin was like i had to make my own thing yep I mean, listen, I, I think that's a pretty common anthem that you'll hear among minority comics. I, I haven't heard a single white guy ever being like, I had to create my own road because people <laughs> didn't give me breaks. <laughs> no, you don't have to do that. You just they roll out the fucking red carpet when you walk in, especially if you've got a big dick fucking swinging. Oh, they're like, let me open that fucking door wide open so you can really walk in with swinging your big dick. Okay. I mean, it's just fucking ridiculous. I think, you know, also what's happening, and I'm so glad you mentioned and touched upon the ripple effects of what happens, right? There's a ripple effect. You know, and I know, I don't know if you want kids or, you know, but I know that there are other like women that I know, female comics who are just like, you know, I want to have a kid. I want to have a family, right? But if everything is so delayed, we don't have, I don't have the luxury to have children till I'm like 50 or 60 years old. I don't have that luxury, right? My clock is very short. So biologically, I'm already at a disadvantage. Now, I know that's not a man's responsibility. It's not their fault. But we are on a certain, you know, biological clock if you want to live that life. You know, you you have to kind of abide by that. There's nothing, unless you have thousands of dollars to go freeze your freaking eggs and God bless, just do that. But I know that a lot of, you know, on the drink ticket salary that we have as females, uh, as stand-up comics, I, I don't know if that is possible for a lot of us. But I think it's exactly that. Everything is delayed. Everything, right? Oh, you're not going to get your breaks till you're like well into your 40s as a woman. Well, that's very different 
than it is for a guy. A guy getting his break in his 40s is like, he's so young. A woman getting her break in the 40s is like, she's kind of, she's kind of old. It's wild. That's a fucked up perception of how women age and how men age. Like a guy would be like, yeah, I just turned 55. I think I'm going to have kids now. Yeah, fuck you. You're right, you can. Because biologically, you're at an advantage. And I'm sorry, I know it's not your fault or it's not my fault. But there is a giant ripple effect to these things, right? Absolutely. I mean, I don't, and I don't want kids, but it's like, I see how it affects people's careers. Like when, cause, cause what happens is there's, there are people who figure it out. Let's just say that there are people who figure out how to have kids in their career. And like, that's beautiful. But I do see a lot of people who have kids and that's it. It's over. Like just it's over for now. You might have to redo and restart, but right now it's over. Let's be clear about what's going on. That's right. You know, a lot of people say, well, women can have everything like guys. I'm not so sure about that. Look, unless you are Beyonce, whose dad was a Columbia record executive, who is mom has, you know, a loving, kind, supportive mom uh, comes from money and then eventually, you know, prospers the way she has. And she's amazing. And she's so incredibly hardworking. Her work ethic is Mm -hmm. incredible. But she has also an amazing support system. You know, and she yeah. talks about it. She's very honest about it. She's like, look, I don't know how I got so lucky. And I think it's because my grandmother used to go to the church and light candles, you know, <laughs> that we have like that her grandkids have a better life than she ever did. Right. Which yeah. is so beautiful. But not everybody has that huge support system. Yeah. And it's just not, it's not going to be possible. And then like, also you see like who gets to continue to do stuff and who has the time for it. I mean, it's like, just really comes down to like, you need time to do these things. And like, who has the time? It's a little bit depressing, but it's also just like, well, this is what we have to deal with and we just got to make our own shit. That's right. That's right. I mean, for now, for now, I mean, look, uh, I I think that was your Joan Rivers and your Sarah Silverman and your Kathy Griffin and, you know, uh, all these uh, Wanda Sykes, like the generation before us that has kind of paved the road for people like you and me to come and do the, do the things that we do. But there are still a ton of sacrifices that are still being made by female comics like you and I in order to propel our careers that, you know, male comics would never have that level of demand the way we do. Yeah. Just and also not get sexually harassed and, you know, uh, no. be told that somebody wants to, you know, that you have to fuck a booker in order to get booked on a gig. You don't have to worry about that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, oh, oh, well, I said, I, said this. I was doing a Zoom mic the other day to work out some stuff. And I was like, uh, I was saying it as Melania, oh, you don't go to an open mic and like be, have a little fear. You, oh, you don't fear you. Oh, oh, that's interesting. That's yeah. an interesting experience to have. Did not have to go. To, I've had to tell like com, male, com, like a male comic who was screaming at a female comic I knew. And I went up to him and I told him I was getting very queens and I was like, back the fuck up and shut the fuck up. Back to and I was like, "That's it." And so why I was, was screaming at him. Why was he screaming at her? Why was he screaming? He was just calling her a bitch because she wouldn't put him on. It was wild. He was going off on her, and she was oh, like, she, "Oh, she's the oh, she's the producer. She's the host. She was just the host, and he wouldn't put her on. And she was just like, he was just screaming, and she was like getting smaller and smaller. And so I came up, and all like the women came. Of course, the women came like round to be like, "Goodbye." Did he leave? He finally left when the bartender said something. A guy had to step up and do mm-hmm. something. Yep. Yeah. 
But like the dudes don't have that experience. Like they don't, it's at their, their regular. When need, that's when you need a taser. You just walk up to the motherfucker and tase him right in the fucking neck. <laughs> and you like, ah, and just walk up behind him and just fucking tase his neck. And you just, get pepper sprayed out. <laughs> I love to fucking tase a motherfucker like that. Like get the fuck out of my face right now. Motherfucker, you don't come and fucking tell me on my goddamn territory how the fuck I run my shit. Like, are you out of your goddamn mind? So have you been challenged at your show? Not at my show. I think I have a kind of a reputation of, you don't fuck with Mona kind of reputation. So no, no. And honestly, you know why I also don't haven't been challenged like that? Because I mostly work with women and they're Mm -hmm. awesome. And they're respectful and grateful and professional and appreciate what you give them. When I was doing my show at the comedy store and, uh, you know, and when I took it to Orange County initially, I had uh, some male comics, also female comics, but predominantly mostly male comics who would just call me up like literally 30 minutes before the show. Sorry, can't make it. Goodbye. Mm-hmm. Brown, brown male comics, Middle Eastern, South Asian wow. male comics. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. They try to pull that because they feel like, oh, I got the free publicity. I don't have to put in the work. I don't have to put in the work. I can just dismiss it. What's she going to do? She's not in a position of power. What's she going to do? that's the thing about this business, right? You don't know where your careers would go, right? So that's why you don't burn your bridges. You don't treat people like that, regardless. First of all, you shouldn't treat people like that regardless. But also keep in mind that, you know, you don't know where my career is going to go tomorrow. I take those names with me. I remember those names. Mm -hmm. So when those names come up, I will make sure that I cross them off with a big giant black marker. (laughs) Call me petty. I don't give a fuck. I put in immense amounts of work for what I do. Immense. I give my body, soul, money, effort, like you name it, I sacrifice, right? So when somebody comes and disrespects you on that level and because they think that you are powerless and that you are a nobody, well, okay. All right. It's like Oprah said, like Oprah, Oprah experienced that. She talked about it. She was like, you know, um, she was co-hosting. It was in Chicago and she found out that her male co-host was making like twice or three times than she was. So she goes to her boss and she goes, hey, I heard that he's making three times more than I am. And he goes, yeah, but he has a wife and family. She's like, it doesn't matter. We put in the same kind of work. And he, he was like, no. He goes, well, he goes and the boss said, basically said, no, you, you can't. Like, you, you're powerless. And Oprah was like, I'll show you. She was like, I'll show you. That's wild. And she's motherfucking Oprah. Yes, that's right. (laughs) I love that. You know, for me, it just, I don't know what it does for you, but for me, it just challenges me. It just challenges me to push myself even harder and more forward, Uh, you know, because you want to be, you want to do great things. You want to, I'm the kind of person that I like to take people up with me. I want to, I want to see you shine. Like it makes me happy. Your success doesn't threaten me, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I'm not not that person. I I think also because I'm a producer. So I look at it from a point of, oh my God, tomorrow I put on a bomb ass show and I get to showcase Lauren and she comes and shine and she does amazing. Oh, people will be like, oh my God, where did you find Lauren? I'm like, isn't she amazing? Everybody wins. How is that? How are you a threat to my success? You're not. Yeah. I love that because it's just people, some people get vicious and petty and i'm like but why it just doesn't even make sense like all boats rise but the vicious and petty i'll never take you with me that's the i mean also it's like if i if i book you on my show right and you do well i'm gonna get mad at that 
you made me shine. Yeah. You made me so shine in addition to making yourself shine. Yeah. Everybody won that night. I mean, I, I think when people act like that, they act very insecure and petty. I don't know how it serves them in the long run. I would think that it doesn't really. I think at the end of the day, we are all like individual entrepreneurs. We're individual businesses. Yeah. Right? There could be five stores that are selling, you know, CBD products, but there's different kinds of CBD products. And I think, you know, they're different kinds of marketing. They have different vibes that they offer. Uh, how, you know, you may be a competition, but not really, not really. Yeah. My competition is when I go up there and if I don't suck, great. Then I'm my own goddamn competition. Yeah, that's right. And then you have an album coming out. Speaking of making people shine, it's already out. June it's already 13th. out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's already yep. out. I was trying to come up with a name for my album. And I was like, oh man, what am I going to... So I was listening to Taylor Swift's Shake It Off. Yeah. And I asked him to shake. And I was like, oh, I should call it just Shake It Off, which is my last name. A-I-K-H... Check it out. So it's now on, uh, it's right now on Spotify, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Amazon. So yeah. Very cool. And then where did you record it? I recorded it at uh, Flappers Comedy Club, actually. Nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I recorded Flappers Comedy Club and uh, yeah, got the audio on it and uh, getting distributed. And um, yeah, it's been, uh, it's, it's got some really good reviews. So I'm very happy about that. Yeah. That's great. And then did you feel that was, is this like a culminating point from all the five years of working at Minority Reports? Was it like material you've developed over the years? How did that, how does that figure? Yeah. I mean, I've been doing comedy for about 12 years now. So yeah, I think it's been a culmination of like, uh, just throughout the, throughout this time, whatever were like, I felt were my best jokes thus far. I listen to it now and I don't know if you do this, but I listen to it now and I'm like, ah, Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I should do that better. I can do that better. Um, I guess that's like the every artist's mm-hmm. temperament where you kind of cringe at your own yeah. stuff. Dude, even Beyonce was just like, she's like, yeah, I cringe. I can't watch my stuff. Like, I have to wait oh, a wow. little bit to watch it. And I was like, you're Beyonce. Beyonce. What do you mean? Yeah, that's wild. That's wild. It's crazy. Uh, but even she talks about it. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, I think, uh, yeah, just some, kind of throughout this time. And, of course, like, if I, I'm, I'm working on brand new material now because um, I'm also working on a one-woman show at the moment. So Ooh. I'm just, like, building up, like, brand new content. That's really exciting. And what's your one-woman show about? It's about all the lovely traumas I grew up with. Uh, <laughs> the wonderful world of traumas, people. Um, do you, uh, so yeah, it's just about my kind of fucked up childhood and my upbringing in Pakistan and then moving to the U.S. And that just kind of very difficult and painful and uh, fucked up period of my life. So it's just kind of this journey of becoming who I am today. And I'm so curious because I, so I came from solo shows and then I went to stand up because yeah. um, I was just like, I feel like I wanted to talk to the audience. I wanted to, I felt it was more honest. Now I'm so curious what your decision is to go from stand up to doing a solo show. I honestly wanted to do a, a stand up special. That's what I was torn between. And then I kept running it by all my producer friends and my creative friends. And they were like, no, 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 no. This has to be a one woman show. And I was like, not like a stand up special. They're like, no, no, no. It has to be a one woman show. And I was hmm. like, okay, well, can I tell you something for the longest time? I've had like this real, I guess you can say maybe like this irk 
to like one woman show i'm like oh, yeah i mean yeah there's a thing that's kind of cliche i think it's become i think with certain people it's become a little cliche-ish mm-hmm. i was like oh i'm not a one show and i was like ah fuck am i gonna do a one woman show and then i was like yeah i guess i'm gonna do a one woman show i've been to some phenomenal one woman shows so i'm just like why do i have this perception and maybe that maybe subconsciously that is some some internalized misogyny who knows yeah, I think you also, I mean, people, comedians who do one-woman shows are usually fantastic at it because it's usually very funny and you're able to, able, like, they bring the humor into the really hard moments. Yeah. So. But uh, I don't know if you've ever had to sit down and work through your stash of traumas. <laughs> it's cathartic and it's really, it's really intense. Oh my, is that your stash stack of traumas? Of, stash of traumas. They're not even all of them. Oh. It's not even all. So I'm just like, so now I have to pick and choose which are going to go in and which not. And it's, uh, let me tell you something. You got to coddle that inner child so much with ice cream and cookies. And in the yeah. meantime, you keep getting fatter and your, your pandemic fupa just keeps getting bigger. It's just uh, outrageous. Yeah. It's really, it's really, and then you have to act it too. So then you have to get into it like all the time writing and then you'll have to be able to like, you know. yeah. Well, I'm a former stage actor, so I think I've had a extent, pretty extensive training in stage acting. So hopefully I won't suck at it. Hopefully I won't be atrocious at it, but hopefully that will help me out. I think it'll be pretty, it's going to be pretty dope. Um, oh, thank you. You're I think so sweet. It's be really good. I can't wait to see it. I can't wait to yeah, see it. me either. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I have um, Melania, well, my characters at the end of this usually do a question. So... I thought fitting would be Melania to come and ask you a question. Um, okay. Okay. Because she doesn't know anything. So she's really interested in the fact that, um, that you're Muslim. So she has, she has some question. So I, I think I understand um, you, are, you are the Muslim. You do the, the Islam thing. So, okay. So you have experience. Maybe you, you know what it's like. People not allowing you to go outside without being escorted. People not wanting maybe to drive or or doing the thing, I'm not having you have your own money. So, okay, but now you overcome that. You independent woman. Well, hmm, what is life like like that? Tell me, I have no idea. What could it be? Your life outside, free. It's, it's pretty much like you, Melania, only uh, I get to keep my clothes on uh, and I didn't have to be a mail order bride. Okay, so that's what it was like. Now, what is it like to be free? Because I don't understand the free part. Yeah, I know. I totally understand that. That's true. I do have a lot more freedom than you do. I have always been, I have pretty much grown up to be a pretty free woman. I grew up with four older brothers and my father was a very forward thinking man and, you know, gave me a lot of freedom to do the things that I want to do. And yeah, I mean, you should try it sometimes. Do you have any tips to overcome? Not that I'm going to escape, but just if I would consider escaping, what would be the tip? I think the tip would be to uh, get the fuck out of that marriage. Uh, that would be the tip. I think I have to stuff some diamonds in the panties and get away. But we'll see. Okay, be best. Bye. <laughs> Poor Melania. I know. And she's, not, she's not. She ain't gonna leave. But it's just fun to think about. She's such a. She's the only gold digging whore in the history of gold digging whores that has to end up working for her money. She's like, I just wanted to go. Have free ride, and now this bitch is like, I gotta work. I thought I was, this shit was free. I thought I had already put out. I'd already popped a kid out. I thought it was solid. And uh, Trump is yeah. like, smile, smile. Oh my god, those those video images, those videos of him when they're like standing together, 
first yeah. of all, you can just tell it's just like, oh my God, they do not fuck or belong together. And whenever she's like looking down, he's like, smile. And she's like, uh, yeah, it's, it's amazing. <laughs> like the Manchurian candidate. Holy yeah, shit. Yeah, yeah. I, I think she doesn't want to smile too because of, of wrinkles. Because of wrinkles. Why does she always look like she's trying to let out a fart, you know? <laughs> it's the Trump look. I think it's like Stockholm Syndrome. She's taking on the, the characteristics of her oppressor. That's very true. She said that, oh, I'm trying to let out a fart for a yeah. long time. Not- <laughs> a doctor told me that she had so much, it was because she has a lot of Botox. Yeah, bad. Yeah. I mean, she just, she's literally switching ethnicities. <laughs> Every time I see this bitch, I'm like, bitch, are you transforming into another ethnicity? What the fuck is happening right now with you? Like so apparently that I didn't read it. I do it's on my list, but the the new book out about her, apparently there's like orange just tanner all over the house. <laughs> I bet. Holy hell. Like why do they do they even see each other every day? Do they even talk to each other? Like what is I that? I think he bragged a while ago before this whole thing happened that like he had the best marriage in the world just seeing each other a few times a month. They had it sorted. Wow. <laughs> That's the only thing time I think I appreciate him being honest. Yeah, I think that's where very and her Facebook video. If you want to see some fun, go to her Facebook videos, which I then downloaded and narrated. But her Facebook videos are wild. They're like these weird videos of her just like alone places and a lot of uh, Donald's helicopter going away. Like she has like three videos of Donald's helicopter Whoa. just kind of going away. Videos of her alone on the beach. Like she's just always alone. It's very eerie and very freaking weird. She's like, goodbye, don't come back. <laughs> <laughs> I, am, I am charging up my magic rabbit. Go away. Exactly. She's like, I'm going to be banging an FBI agent. Goodbye. <laughs> I mean, it must be very tempting. How amazing would it be? But like those CIA service, like those guys yeah. in suits, like how hot are they? Are you kidding mm-hmm. me? Yeah. Are you kidding me? And your husband's not around most of the time? Yeah, okay. and they're just always hanging out with her. I mean, listen, I, I would not be mad at Melania if she got some. I would oh, not. no. Yeah. I'm get it, Melania. Thank you. Get she it. would be someone who cheated and the whole world would be like, we get it. <laughs> I don't think people would applaud her for being a gold-digging whore, but for cheating? Bravo. Yeah, yeah. Well, to see Donald Trump eat cuckolded would be the most amazing. I always imagined Melania getting banged by, really hard by an FBI agent. Who's investigating Trump and then they, he walks in on them. That would be like the most dream come true for that me. Would be. No, he just turn around and go hit on Ivanka. <laughs> I mean, I think he already has. He's like, I guess you guess you get to fuck FBI. I get to fuck my daughter. All right. See you. Bye. I get to fuck my daughter. <laughs> oh, girl. The way she talks, like, daddy. Yeah. It's so proper and like so soft. Yeah, I'm working on um, Ivanka, and she's a she's a ball of wax. Oh my god, she's even just the way she speaks because she has no breath, and like there's a, a, like a hint of sexuality behind everything, but she's not trying to be sexual. But she's yeah. just found that having that sexuality there works to convince a very important person in her life to do things. And who would that person be? Her fucking dad. And so she's like, and she has no breath. So to do it, you have to like get rid of all your breath. And you're like, hi. So yeah, yeah. She's very like oh, soft and. It's just that if you put a hard dick in her mouth, it would also get very soft because yeah. very softly. So it's just she just softens everything. Just hard dicks getting soft, getting in her mouth, and just everything is so soft. Um, it's so, yeah. 
Yeah. And she tries to, she's very manipulative. She tries to get out of things, which is like the, the Trump motto is not get the worst. The way they like set up, if push comes to shove and then uh, God willing that, uh, God willing, as we say it in, uh, in Arabic, we say inshallah means God willing when he leaves uh, the White House this November. I want to know when the FBI comes and arrests him and uh, all the evidence is coming out, he'll probably be like pushing Ivanka in the front <laughs> and Donald Trump yeah. Jr. He's like, take this. I'm innocent. I didn't do anything. I don't know nothing. Yeah. Yeah. He's super scum. And he's a malignant narcissist. Totally. They're all going to be like under the bus. Oh God. Yeah. Ivanka will totally Jared under the bus. Oh yeah. She'll be like, daddy, but like, daddy. <laughs> he might even think Melania too. I think that's why she has one foot on the exit is just not because she'll ever leave him. But if he goes to jail, like what is she going to do? You don't think she'll leave him if he goes to jail? Depends how if she, he she keeps getting a lot of money then, and he's gone. That's like the dream scenario. I bet. I mean, I wonder the prenup is in the sense that if the marriage is not happening, that she doesn't get any money. Yeah, and also, what if they take his money? I'll eventually leave him as soon as. Yeah. I mean, then she has to. I mean, she has to go back to escorting, which you know. Yeah. Girl's got to put money on food on the table, boo. <laughs> she got to do what she got to do. Darren's not going to grow up on Lunchables. Come on, let's go. Like, <laughs> let's go, people. There's no spam eating in the in the uh, Melania household. Let's no, go. no, no. They're private chef, Michelin chef. God, she's sick. She's so, I don't know, man. I just, um, I have like this conscience, this brutal conscience that even if I talk to somebody abruptly because it was in a bad mood, I feel so bad. Mm -hmm. I can't imagine being a wife of such a horrific human being. Well, you know what? You, I mean, you have to be horrific yourself, too, in order to tolerate that level of horrificness, right? Yeah. You have to be also, like, dead on the inside, you yeah. know? Like, that jacket she wore, I really don't care, do you? Yeah. Like, you're a cunt. There's no other way to describe you. There are children in cages that are, like, legit dying I think in dictionary, they should put Melania's face next to the word cunt because she, her and Ivanka. These are the Abaya, two. Ivanka is pretty. These two cunty cunts. I can't with them. I can't. I mean, they just, there's no remorse. You know, there's no compassion. There's yeah. no caring of any kind. Maybe some women be like, don't use that word. It's demeaning to women. I'm just referring to these two fucking women. <laughs> to me, they are like the epitome of cunts. Yeah. Uh, and what's her name? Uh, Kellyanne Conway? Yeah. That bitch. Yeah. Did you see her face? Did you see her face? She got work done. She totally got work done. Yeah, she got she got work done. Um, like, so, oh, he, she, she should get a purple heart. Um, yeah, she went from looking like this to like this. And I was like, oh, what happened? She got the lift. I was like, god damn. Like, terrible. I think it, when you work for him, you kind of have. And they hired someone who was like Kellyanne, oh, Kellyanne, McKinley, Kaylee McKinley. Kelly McKinley, yeah. Oh, she's getting laid, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> They're terrible, but we, we create awesome things. He's kind of very like robotic yeah. because he wants women to go back to the fifties. I mean, Trump talked about it. He's like, yeah. I love women in the fifties who were subservient to men who obeyed. And that's what he wants. Those are the kind of women he wants to be surrounded by. He doesn't want to be surrounded by women like you and I probably fucking put him in his place in two seconds. Yeah. I'll put him on a diet. That's the first thing. <laughs> Can I have that spray tan or fucking just blend it, you know? Right. Listen, that's that's why you need gay friends. Like, gay friends help you out with that shit. Yes. Gay friends, gay friends will still let that shit slide, but gay friends are the ones who keep it honest. Like, yo, come yep. on, stop it. Yes. Do not go out looking like this. 
For God's sake. Oh yeah. my God. You remember, you remember the Inside Amy? I've been watching Inside Amy on Hulu, the Amy Schumer yeah. show, mm-hmm. which I thought was hysterical. Yep. I, I love Amy Schumer. I'm a big, I'm a big fan of hers. Yeah. Uh, and she had this one sketch about Slap Chef. Remember that sketch? Which one was that? That was a sketch called Slap Chef. It's like whenever this, you know, you have a chef who makes you your favorite meal. And as you're about to eat it, he slaps it out of your mouth. Slap Chef. <sighs> And I was like, he needs a slap chef. He needs a slap chef. If he just ate one less bucket of KFC every day, he would give you his 20 pounds. Just slap it right out of his, <gasps> that little orange pie hole just every time. Yeah. Mexicans while eating a fucking Mexican, like a taco salad. Yeah. Mexicans are coming here. Fuck you. Shut yeah. up. Yeah. Your he's... wife came here illegally. You know what the craziest thing is? You know what my connection to the Trumps is? You're going to love this. I have one degree of separation to the Trump. What? So Melania Trump's parents became U.S. citizen last year. Yeah. And uh, so I'm watching the press conference. I'm looking at the lawyer and I'm like, I know that lawyer. Wait, that used to be my lawyer. He's the one who helped me get my citizenship. (laughs) Mr. Weinberg? I'm like, what the fuck? Wow. So her parents got their citizenship through the same law firm that i hired yeah that is wild so you're you're basically like with with the trumps i'm basically with the uh, the melania side isn't it crazy i was like that's weird you said you sit on her side of the wedding and she I actually invi- she actually didn't invite any friends which is obvious so she's so crazy that she doesn't not crazy she's just sad she has no friend no no friends to invite to her I, I would be the one tripping her as she's walking to <laughs> just put my foot out there just you know and she didn't even like go down the aisle with flowers she went only went with rosary beads isn't that it's yeah no flowers is that the truth yeah true true rosary beads yeah around after sucking all that dick you need to go and confess your sins or some shit you know yeah yeah yeah. maybe she was doing a confession as she was walking down forgive me father for i have sucked a lot of dicks to get here (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> just so that the cross didn't fall on her when they were doing the vows. Right? Imagine just being standing there, just like the, the, the priest must be like, what are you doing? This is not a confession. Like, this is not a confession. You're getting married. You don't have to confess how many dicks you suck to get here. Like, <laughs> you're here. He's like, I sucked a lot of dick too. So, <laughs> exactly. He's like, listen, there were tiny dicks because they were kids, but hey, uh, still, there were still dicks. So, <laughs> that's so far. Where's. <laughs> Are we going to have death threats after this again? <laughs> We're like going in on both of them. I mean, I go Jesus in every day. I'm the shit that I've said, we just put out a video that was like uh, Melania saying, oh, Donald wants me to go around the country in an RV. Oh, but I don't work in cars anymore. Not since the 99 Trump Epstein roadshow. <laughs> <laughs> and we had a picture of like a teenager in a bikini with Trump Epstein. <laughs> <laughs> my god dude speaking of epstein did you, have you seen filthy rich on netflix oh no i've not i I've, I've heard it is beyond disturbing you know how many pedophiles are about to be exposed dude these pedophiles are like high up in some high up positions tell you that they're scared they are scared because the accidental death of epstein you know they uh epstein's brother hired a independent coroner to find out what killed him. They claim that he hung himself, that he committed suicide. And they're like, nope, he did not. The independent coroner's like, he did not kill himself. Somebody killed him. 
because when you hang yourself, they said that there's a bone here that cracks and that's what kills you. So it collapses your windpipe, I believe it is. And they're like, that's not, that one is still intact for him. It's uh, this other bone that's broken. And they said, you can't get that to hanging. Mm, I believe it. I mean, Epstein was getting massages. He was bringing these young girls, like Mm -hmm. 16, 15, 17 year old girls, bring in and be like, yeah, you can give me a massage and then pull his dick out and be like, suck me off you know you're like yeah, i'm recruit i heard he was recruiting at a, at a high school and then like telling the girls like i'll bring your friends and yeah i mean in in in, in florida and uh and uh the the uh the florida da uh acosta that piece of shit that yeah. piece of shit he yeah. let him off man he was on the trump administration and after much pressure because of what happened with epstein and how he pardoned epstein he tipped off Epstein that there was an investigation against him and cut a sweetheart deal, not including the victims, not giving them the time of day to tell their story. And basically was just like, yeah, everything is fine. Nothing to see here. Smoke and mirrors. Okay, bye-bye. That's crazy shit. But then he, you know, he had his day in court, man. Thank God. Thank God for the Me Too movement. Thank God for Time's Up. That's what brought on the cases to be reopened and to be reexamined. And the judge went back in and was just like, no, this is some fucked up shit. He's been abusing all these little kids for the longest time. I want to know if they're going to go on the Epstein Island and start digging up bodies. Because I think there are bodies buried on that island. I think think they have raped and murdered children and buried them right on an island. And I think that's why he got the fucking island. Aren't there also like islands too, like Saudi princes go to, they have islands off the coast or something where they bring children and whatever that young girls to go there. Crazy shit. Pedophilia is big business. Yeah. This is like a thing. Like it's a thing like that. There's like these islands getaways for very wealthy people to go be fucking disgusting humans. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, uh, in a lot of, uh, you know, I think, uh, uh, was it Gambia? I was reading an article about Gambia, how all these pedophiles from like Australia and America and UK go and basically buy these little children. Like I'm talking about as young as five years old, six years old. Their parents are so poor that they basically kind of sell their children and say, yeah, Mm -hmm. you can take my kid for the day. You can do whatever you want. uh, And then just bring the kid back and then just give us the money. That's disgusting. You know, and this is why, like, you know, we hit it, like, we did, we just went right for the thing about the RV joke, and I have another joke about, like, um, you know, I, oh, I've, I've not seen Donald since I, he pried me out of my crate on Jeffrey Epstein's island, but, like, we say this shit, and it's, like, because, because people need to say it. It needs to be said because it's being done with such, like, flippance. It's, like, yeah. like ang flippantly, but it's being done flippantly. Yep. I mean, I think the time is coming when all these pedophiles are going to be exposed, and rightfully so. Uh, remember Ricky Gervais at the Golden Globes when he was hosting? He was like, Epstein, your friend. He's like, you know, he's your friend. He got very quiet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I got very quiet. <laughs> he got very quiet. He's like, I don't care. He's like, I don't care. Fuck off. Take your little gift, take your little Golden Globe, and fuck off. <laughs> I love it. Truth tellers, man. That's our yeah, job. Yeah, that's where we are. So where can people find you, follow you, buy your album? Uh, yeah, so like I said, you can follow me. Uh, you can go on my website. It's uh, www.monashaikh.com. I have links to my album there, which is uh, Shake It Off. That's out now on Amazon and Spotify and 
iTunes and Apple Podcasts and all major streaming services. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Mona's Comedy. I actually have an amazing brand new YouTube channel and have a shit ton of new content on it. It is growing by the day. I do daily YouTube uh, live streams every single day at 6.15 Pacific of the hottest trend of whatever everybody's talking about. Uh, that's, I do a whole rant on it. I call it Mona's Rant. And yeah, you can go on my um, Mona Shake Comedian uh, YouTube page and you'll find it there. And all my rants are there. That's great. Well, thank you. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, thank you so much. I appreciate it. This was great. So, Melania, are you going to go to the next Minority Report show? I'm considering it because I heard her say that I should be in the dictionary. Uh, Melania, that wasn't for a good reason. Ah, but for the Trumps, all publicity is good for your presidential campaign. Wait, Melania, are you running for president? Well, someone needs to succeed Donald after Ivanka, Jerry, Don Jr., Eric. All right, all right. I, you are just all in your own world, Melania. Oh, the be-best world. Okay. For the rest of us, let's think about this. When you create an environment in which different people are welcome than the usual comedy club goer, they come, they love, they appreciate, they patron. And let's look at the example of Minority Reports and is later covered by Hustler Magazine and it was going to become the 2020 official comedy show of LA Pride, fingers crossed for 2021. And remember, like a lack of diversity on stages and screens creates a ripple effect in performers' career and life. And the way to change that is one of the ways is to patron and support shows by diverse and unique voices. Let me know what you think. Before we go into the I Don't Care Do You segment, I'd like to do two things. First, I want to encourage everyone to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. It really, really helps other people find us. Second, I want to tell you that you can follow Reconcile the Isle on my Twitter and Instagram, at Lauren Logi, and of course, on Radio Misfits Podcast Network. And do consider signing up at laurenlogie.com slash podcast to get reminders when we publish this every other week. And also on my website, you can find out some other exciting things going on. My book, Inside Melania, What I Learned About Melania Trump by Impersonating Her, is out now. And we'll be doing virtual shows of the Melania Trump Roadshow throughout the fall. So make sure to sign up and get informed. Listen, we have to learn how to have public dialogue again. The world's on fire and we've got to talk about it. And there is no better way to understand the importance of this than by reading the headlines. So, Melania, give us the top headlines in the I Don't Care Do You segment. Here's all the things that I don't care to you about. Some people are calling the coronavirus, which has infected 5 million people worldwide, the faux virus. Two police officers are put on leave in Georgia after shooting two minors. And millions of people in America are unemployed. But I don't care. Do you? Thank you to everyone who has made this podcast possible. Thank you to Sophia Reyes-Jones for editing, to Devin Edwards for creating the intro, Christopher Catalano for the voiceover, Manny McLennan for making the podcast art, and a shout out to Alan Waters, Danny Holtz, and Craig Branson, who helped me to conceptualize this podcast. And of course, thank you to Mona Shake for being such a wonderful guest. See you in two weeks.